Hello everybody, I'm John Hindoff and this is a special programme. Joining us now, and I'm delighted to say joining us now, is the Vice President of North America Sales for Race Fuel and Consumer Products, which means he has a very big business card and quite a big job as well. From VP Fuels, hello to Bruce Hendel. Hello Bruce, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And by the way, the only one that has a longer title on the business card is my assistant. I built drag racing models from Revel back in the early and mid-1970s. I saw your logos then. Is that the start of the motor racing for VP? You've you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there. We started officially in 1975, and it was started by a gentleman by the name of Steve Burns, who was a drag racer uh, and a motorcycle guy. He actually still races now to this day. You know, obviously being a racer, he's going, man, there's got to be a way to do something to make these cars go faster. And so back then, I don't think there was that many choices of uh, what to do with when it came to fuel. And so he did a lot of research, blended things in his garage, brought it to the racetrack and tested it, raced on it himself, started to develop relationships. If you remember names like Warren Johnson and Rear Morrison, they're like icons in drag racing, right? He worked with those guys very closely, working on their dyno and developing a lot of the drag race fuels that we still even have today. From those very small beginnings, uh, VP Racing Fuel has expanded not just NHRA, all kinds of motorsport. You, you do fuel for race boats, for race aircraft, I tried to count up how many different types of fuels, and I ran out of fingers and toes very quickly. We have about 80 different race fuels. Uh, It wasn't too long after we got started with drag racing that we actually got a lot of the big teams on uh, our fuel in the late 70s. So, for instance, Yamaha, factory Yamaha here in the States, I think 1978 – they started using our fuel. To this day, the team is still running our fuel. I've been with the company for 27 years, so I haven't been with it since its inception, but I've been with the company for quite a long time. And I've seen a lot of growth even since I've been here. But in the last 15 years, for sure, we've seen tremendous growth. And actually in the last eight to 10, a lot of that's been our expansion into some of these other markets, you know, but but even today, we have, um, I mean, they just finished the Supercross series here in the U.S., right? And we've we've got three championships within the series, right? And we won all three. We've, we've had, you know, great success in all different types of motorsport. We've been the exclusive uh, fuel supplier for the Reno Air Races, which is kind wow. of a one-off event. Well, well, that's like the Daytona 500 for, for air races, though, isn't it? I mean, it is the one. If you're going to win it, you want to win the Reno Race. Exactly. And, and we, we blend up specific, uh, specific airplane racing fuels for those classes. One of the, the top uh, fuel that we have is called Air Race, actually. Right. It's a different formula than what we do for the automotive and motorcycle side of it. So one of the things why, why we end up with so many different fuels is because we specialize in developing the best performance for the application and or the fuel rule. So we've got a lot of different fuel rules, not just in this country, but in the world, right? So you got FIA and FIM rules over in, over in Europe. And even within those rules, like British Superbike runs under a different rule than what like MotoGP might run under. So we've got a lot of different rules and we try to make the best, best power we can under the, under the rule and for the particular application. So even like with 
AMA Pro Racing, for instance. You've got one rule for Supercross. You've got another rule for the road race series. And then when it comes to the amateur side, even though it's sanctioned under AMA, it's a, it's a different rule there, too. So does that mean you've got to work really closely, Bruce, with all of these different sanctioning bodies? I presume they give you a specification and then you have to work towards that. There's different programs with different series. Like some of them have what's called the spec fuel. So that means everybody has to run the same fuel. A lot of times that's popular with a series that has a spec of vehicle. Let's take Indy Lights, for instance, where the official fuel of Indy Lights. Indy Lights, same chassis, same tires, same engine, same everything, right? So it makes sense to have a spec fuel. Then you go to AMA where you've got a lot of different, you got different size motorcycles, you got different brands, you got different manufacturers, you've got different engine configurations potentially. They have a specification for the fuel, not a brand that you much must run. We we kind of enjoy those types of rules because they become a challenge for us. Cause now just like Honda wants to beat Yamaha or Chevy wants to beat Ford or Ferrari wants to beat Maserati, right? We want to beat our competitors. And so when you have a open fuel rule, we enjoy those challenges. And that's where we see like in, you know, motocross, for instance, has that type of rule. And we've got the majority of the competitors on our product because, quite frankly, it performs better than anything else. Now, we also deal with a lot of series where we are the spec fuel and we work closely with the sanctioning body, with the type of engine specifications that they're, that they're running and what they want to accomplish from a fuel, whether it's leaded or an unleaded or on what octane it might need to be. And how does that benefit us as consumers? So one of the things we had great success with, success with in a recent expansion, I say recent, like in the last eight years, has been uh, fuels for outdoor power equipment. Okay, a lot of people say, oh, it's a lawnmower or whatever. It doesn't seem to be that performance, much of a performance type of application. However, you look at chainsaws, for instance, they run at like 14,000 to 15,000 RPM. They're just, to me, they're just little race engines. Yeah, exactly. Now, granted, you have four-stroke lawnmowers that are a little bit different than chainsaws. But the main thing is that is that we make performance fuels, and so... What we've what we've done is extended what we know from the race fuel side down to fuels for outdoor power equipment. Now, what's important there is outdoor power equipment doesn't necessarily get used every day like our automobiles do. A lot of times it's seasonal. Well, the pump gas here and a lot of other places throughout the world is generally not necessarily that great. I mean, they have some detergents in them, but the fuel itself is not that clean, which is why you have detergents in those fuels. But when they sit and evaporate, they leave gums and varnishes in your fuel system. With the introduction of ethanol in a lot of places, that's that adds in another complication because ethanol attracts moisture. Not only do you have gums and varnishes, but now you have you introduce corrosion. So with with our small engine fuel, if we take what we know from racing, we use base stocks and components that have no gums and varnishes. So literally they can sit for years in your equipment right? and it will not go bad. That is the main selling point, I think, for the small engine fuel compared to using pump gas. Yes, it's more expensive, but I know for a fact, because I had a piece of equipment that I had to get quoted for a repair long before we made small engine fuels. Let me clarify that because I do, do use my own fuel now, obviously. But back before that, before we had small engine fuel, I had a chainsaw that I hadn't used in a while, and the dealer quoted me $125 to go through it and get it running. 
And, and I take it some of that is, is, is pre-mixed stuff as well, because some of that will be two-stroke, some of those small engines that you're talking yes. about. Yes, we, we actually pre-mix it with our proprietary 100% synthetic uh, two-cycle oil. We pre-mix it at 50 to 1, we pre-mix it at 40 to 1, cool. and then we have a four-cycle version for that as well. During the COVID pandemic, you've been doing other things. The president of our company, Alan Serwick, said to me, you know, what about doing hand sanitizer? You know, we checked into supply. We, we, we actually, you know, dabbled in a little bit of gathering some information here and there. And then I had a line review with one of my big retailers for 2021 as, as far as new products for 2021. And in that conversation, I said, hey, any chance that you guys need hand sanitizer? And they go, as a matter of fact, we do. It's very hard to find, and we can only find small bottles of it. We're an essential business, so we're we're open because we're an auto parts business. We're all we're, our stores are open, but I have we have to have sanitizer on the counter, not only for our own employees but for the customers that come in. But it's very hard to find, and because they, they only had small bottles, and because there was a shortage on sanitizer, those small bottles were disappearing. If you know what I mean, they were ending, oh. they were walking out the door. Yes. People were grabbing them and because you couldn't find hand sanitizer anywhere. So I said, well, we don't do small bottles. We're good at packaging larger quantities, which is what we do. We've got a facility that's already set up to do hazmat and flammable. And believe it or not, hand sanitizer is a flammable. We can package in gallons. And they said, that would be perfect if we could put a gallon on the counter at every one of our stores. I go, well, how much do you think you need? And at first they said, well, I think we could take 25,000 gallons. And then the next day they called back and I, they go, well, I think we could use 50,000 gallons. He said, but I'm going to check with our commercial division and see maybe they want to resell it. And then they called us back like the next day and said, you know, we could use like 300,000 gallons. <laughs> and how fast can you get it to us? So this was an idea that we had. It went from an idea to physically having an order in a very short period of time. And now we have to figure out how to fill it. So we have a plant in, in Tennessee. It's about 160,000 square feet. We had equipment that we were actually bringing in to package fuel, but we put that on hold because of the virus. Well, now we fast track that. We said, hey, let's get that equipment in. That same equipment that we would use to package fuel can package this product. We got the packaging line set up and churned out 300,000 gallons in about three weeks. The other thing that we've done too is We've actually tried to help a lot of these a lot of these race series here get back to racing because now they have to have certain protocols in, in place, whether it's wearing a mask, whether you have to have sanitizer, whether you have to do social distancing. But it's all part of getting back to racing. And so a number of series, they'll have our hand sanitizer available there. Tell me about VP Racing Fuel and IMSA. IMSA, long before it was IMSA, it, over here it was called American Le Mans Series. It was at uh, Laguna Seca. We were up there for another event. I was actually there, and I approached the, the guys at American Le Mans Series and said, hey, we'd love to sit down and chat with you about you know, being your fuel supplier. They had a competitive product there. It wasn't ours. We hammered out the deal at, under the American Le Mans Series, and that's when we became the official fuel. Then, as you know, there was Grand Am, and Grand Am had another fuel supplier, and we were the supplier for American Le Mans. And then the two merged under IMSA. And we end up securing a long-term supply agreement for IMSA. We're 
a few years into a long-term deal that we have. So we started out obviously on the fuel side. We supply two different fuels for them currently. They can uh, use a, they're both about 100 octane on leaded. One has 10% ethanol, another one has 20% ethanol. But we've since expanded that this year. We are the official coolant of IMSA as well. We have two versions. We have a race-ready version, which is 100% water-based, but will drop the operating uh, temperature 25 to 30 degrees in the coolant side and up to 75 to 100 degrees on your cylinder heads. Contains no glycols, which actually most of the race series, when you're racing on asphalt, won't let you use an antifreeze because, you know, if, if there's an accident or a, or a radiator hose blows and all that dumps out on the track, regular antifreeze is very, very hard to clean up. It's very slippery and it's dangerous. A lot of times these teams will just run straight water, um, which actually water cools very well. The problem with water is you don't have any corrosion protection. So that's, again, where our product comes into play because we meet the ASTM standard for anti-corrosion, in, even in our 100% water-based product. So you've got the extra cooling effect, you've got the anti-corrosion protection, and you get those performance benefits. And then we've got a high-performance version, which is more for the hot rod, street rod guys, or tow vehicles. So it does have freeze protection down to zero, but offers better cooling than standard antifreeze. You've been a great supporter of motorsport because VP Race Fuels comes out of, of motorsport. But having come out of those small beginnings in North America, now VP is represented all around the world. Yes, we have a distribution all over the world now. We're working on expanding even more internationally. I think that's a big opportunity for us being a US-based company we're pretty well distributed and the products are available uh, throughout the United States or throughout North America, I should say. But outside of North America, even even though we do have all that distribution, it's still a tremendous opportunity for us to grow. Looking to the future, big changes in the automotive industry. How does that affect VP and how does that affect your vision of the future? Well, it's a very good question. I think a 10-year plan looks one way. And a 20-year plan probably looks a little different. And do you believe that motorsport will continue to drive technology in, in the way it did when the company was formed in the mid-70s? You know, I believe it will, although I believe we're in, a, we're in a much tighter box. So a lot of the creativity has been removed. But I still think there's a lot of room there. Um, for us to develop more fuels, to look at different components that we can use, try to develop more horsepower out of our products, which is what we strive to do. We're constantly doing that. We have our, we have our own lab. We're constantly testing with the teams to, uh, to advance our products. And uh, it's possible to do that. It's just a little harder. I suppose if you look at the equation of anything in terms of motorsport, you're always trying to do more with the same amount. And in terms of efficiency, that's no bad thing as we drive forward and, and reliability and efficiency is such a big thing nowadays. You know, we've, we've been involved in obviously off-road racing on the West Coast is a big thing. A lot of the desert racing and the big, the big class is the trophy trucks, right? Ten years ago, they were, you know, five, 500 horsepower. That was a lot of horsepower. And then they then they went to got the 600 horsepower and then they were they were getting two miles to the gallon. They started introducing fuel injection. Well, that improved fuel economy. 
So they went from two miles to a gallon to three or three and a half miles to the gallon. Well, as you figure out how to how to make things better and improve things and get more power and what you can do within the rules, well, those trucks are now pushing 900 to 1,000 horsepower. And the fuel that they use now is not the same blend that they used 10 years ago when they were only putting out 500 horsepower. But it proves the point that motorsport improves the breed uh, and, and drives yes. technology forward. One thing to remember is with our company, it started with a guy who was, who was uh, a race enthusiast. Pretty much all the leadership, the, the leadership team at VP is all involved in racing or has some racing background. That really sets us apart from our competition, right? Because we are in, we're involved with the sports that we service, even personally, ourselves. Remarkable story of a company that started in motorsport and continues to use motorsport as the ultimate laboratory. Bruce, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for support of motorsport uh, all around the world and motorised sport all around the world. And in particular, of course, your support of IMSA and IMSA Radio. It's much appreciated. Keep riding, keep driving, keep enjoying the road. Thanks for having me. Thank you.